Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Nice. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the event horizon where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I am your co-host, Gene Turnbow. And I am your other co-host, Susan Fox. And with us is Madeline Holly Rosing, the creator of Boston Metaphysical Society and the author of the new book... It's a book. It's a book. The Storm of Secrets. The Storm of Secrets. I'm sorry. I blew that. (laughs) I had it open to, like, the last page because that's kind of where it was. Yeah, because we actually chewed through the whole thing in, like hours. It's one of those books that you pick up and you cannot put down. I couldn't put it down because I couldn't say anything bad about it. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Except that it's sad. There's sad parts. Yeah, there, people have sad people parts. live hard lives in in you know pre steampunk London. <laughs> um. Well, yeah. If if anyone, if you've read the original graphic novel series then one part of it because I don't want to give away spoilers to people who who haven't read the graphic novel um, there's something that you already know is going to happen you just don't know how it's going to happen you have you have no idea how it all plays out and um, so yeah I wanted to people to to meet Elizabeth Weldsmore Hunter um, because they hear about her a whole lot in the uh, in the comics and the graphic novel, but this was my opportunity to introduce her to the world and uh, her relationship with her father and with Samuel and Samson, who um, actually was the you know the butler who plays a very big part of her life. And I don't know if you guys remember Steampunk Rat, the novella that's in Prelude, mm-hmm. um, and. That's where you meet, you know, a young Samson and a young Jonathan Wellsmore, uh, and uh, when he, you know, first meets his his wife and his situation changes dramatically for him. Um, but yeah, Samson is it's it's kind of interesting how all these characters kind of evolve over time and um, they all link to one another and their relationships. But um, just in, as an aside for those listeners who have uh, never heard or seen of Boston Metaphysical Society before, uh, the original graphic novel is about an ex-Pinkerton detective, a spirit photographer, and a genius scientist who battles supernatural forces in late 1800s Boston. Um, we finished the six-issue miniseries, and this, earlier this year, we published the first standalone continuation of the series called The Scourge of the Mechanical Men. 
um, which is a Granville Woods and Nikola Tesla story. Uh, by the way, Gwen Tavares is working on the next one shot, which will be out next year, and that's a Caitlin story. Oh, good. Oh, cool. Um, and you'll get to see Samson again. Oh, he must be quite elderly at this point. Yeah, he. Yeah, he's definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's retired. Obviously, he's moved on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also came out with the first novel, which is uh, A Storm of Secrets, as we mentioned before, and it is a prequel to the original graphic novel series. And what I my my plan is that anything that is before the timeline of the original graphic novel will be in prose form, and anything later than that will be in comic book form. Really? And that actually has to do with budget and time. Oh, okay, because I I found that a lot of the imagery in this would have really lent itself to seeing it in pictures, you know? And I'd love yeah. to see what uh, Tavares would do with it. Yeah, no, it would be great. It's just, uh, as you know, making comics is expensive. Oh, yeah. So um, <laughs> I, I don't like to uh, regurgitate the same material. So whatever it is, it's going to be a new story, um, whether it be in a, a sequential art form or prose form. So I I have no plans on doing saying like a novelization of the graphic novel because we already know that story. So okay, fair enough. You know, it's like let's let's move on and learn more and do more and expand the universe more. It's a testament to the to the richness of the the universe you created that it's possible to to just. <laughs> generate so so many uh, comics and and the, the books you have planned and all of it. Uh, it's it's really immersive. Um, yeah, it, it's it's obviously kind of taken on a life of its own. Um, the the novel, uh, I guess, the world and and the fans of Boston Metaphysical were ready for the novel because um, pretty much well. I just launched it for the first time at Gaslight Expo a couple weeks ago in San Diego, and people are buying this thing. It's <laughs> it's like okay, I guess maybe I should have done this sooner, but you know maybe this was the right time. So here we are. It is all about the timing. Um, but yeah, definitely, I, I think it was time and. Um, uh, I mean, right now I'm just working on something that's completely unrelated to Boston Metaphysical just to kind of clear my head for a little bit. Mm-hmm. What are you working and, on? Uh, actually, it's just a short story um, that is – it's just it's – a, it's a sci-fi. It's a straight sci-fi. No steampunk, no nothing. It's a straight sci-fi and um, uh, it, it'll, be, it'll be a lot of fun because um, I have – two other Boston metaphysical short stories that will be published next year. Um, one is a, um, Andrew story and, a, a young, um, Caitlin called the underground and, uh, another one, uh, really introduces a new character, which I introduced in the 10 page short. That was part of the trade paperback, uh, called Hunter killer. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, her name is Gwen Warwick, and she is the captain of the prototype airship, the Philadelphia. 
Um, the time period is during uh, the House Wars, which is my mm -hmm. version of the Civil War. And I'm going to be mapping out a, a series of books uh, featuring her and a number of the other characters, uh, but during that time period. So it's going to be like 35, 40 years prior to the original graphic novel. Now, in A Storm of Secrets, uh, yeah. the, uh, the, the house wars um, are a matter of history. Some, mm -hmm. some decades past, it seems as though. Correct, correct. Uh, and so there, there will be overlap, and uh, in in later novels that are in like the same time period of *A Storm of Secrets*, we'll see like an older Gwen Warwick, and you know, some some of the people will be dead, and some of them will, be, will still be alive. I kill off characters with impunity. You should know that by now. Oh, so so you're taking pages from George R. R. Martin. <laughs> nobody. Well, you know what? When nobody's safe, there's more suspense. That's true. Real Absolutely danger. Absolutely true. You have a great point. And this time we can't count down the the weeks until you know we know that all the Sean Bean fans are going to cry. You know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like the first uh, first That's year true. of uh, Game of Thrones on TV, they were going like one chapter a week and going, okay, so it's like one, two, three, nine weeks. <laughs> and we're going to hear screaming, and we did. Oh, yeah. I No, I remember. Well, I read the books before the um, the TV show came on. Right. And, uh, oh, yeah, I remember when I read the chapter where, you know, The Red Wedding – <laughs> like, oh yes! Oh my God! And then the chapter where Jon Snow died, he I just like I couldn't even speak. I couldn't go to I couldn't go to sleep for like because I, I usually read in the evenings. And I couldn't go to sleep for like an hour and a half. Going like, no, he can't be dead. You know? <laughs> but obviously they fixed that. Yeah, those those of us who are snotty book readers <laughs> are just yeah. throwing up our hands and going, "Well, I don't know, man. You know, <laughs> are they going to change it for the books? Because why should I stick with it now?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's like um, like the uh, the TV series on Sci Fi Channel, Krypton. You know, like why would anybody watch it? Because we know what happens at the end of the series. <laughs> it doesn't end well. It does not end well. The episode one, two, and three of uh, Star Wars. That wasn't going to end well either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But this um, this isn't all written yet, so we don't know what's going to happen, and that's more fun to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my husband, who's like, you know, 300% behind all of this, has said, okay, in December, we're just. I'm basically taking a, a writer vacation, um, like a mini retreat where we're just going to go away and, you know, in the morning I'm going to work and then we're going to play for the rest of the day. I like so it. I don't have any distractions because, man, stuff like social media and, uh, as you know, I'm a, a, a one-person shop. So, oh yeah, I can definitely relate to that. It's, it's, oh yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, you guys know, at least, I mean, you guys have, you guys, the yeah. two of you. Yeah. Um, we, we I, have, I, us. I handle everything. And we have, we have our, our whole support team as well. You know, it's yeah. not, it's not just the two of us, but it's mostly Susan and I. Uh, it's do, mostly you. The, I've got to do it. Doing the job. heavy lifting. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, my husband, you know, helps out what he can, but, you know, he has a full-time job. 
Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, and, and it's the that. same. And it's the same with Susan. She she keeps yeah. me keeps me on the path and gives me direction when I need it. When I can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. She's there. I'm there at least by text going, well, why don't you do this or get out of the house and walk the dog for a while or something, you know, because your brain freezes up. You know, if you keep if you keep uh, running your creative engine at full speed like that, sooner or later, you have to you have to stop the engine and let it cool off a bit. Yeah, well, I know my issues are all the administrative work that has to be mm-hmm. taken care of. And, of course, I handle all the marketing, the social media. Um, we just uh, – uh, I just did a giveaway um, for the newsletter subscribers for uh, a PDF of the novel. And uh, one person won a print copy. So it was like, you know, I'm. you got to set up the Dropbox. you got to email them. You know, it's – it just takes time. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm uh-huh. happy to do it, but it just takes time. Well, and you actually, uh, I remember that you wrote a book about all of the administrative tasks involved in being successful. Uh, you have a book on how to do Kickstarters. That is correct. Yes. Kickstarter for the Independent Creator. It is uh-huh. in its second edition. And um, yeah, it's it's a, a field guide, essentially, to running a Kickstarter for particularly for those who are just looking to make say, you know, under $10,000 mm-hmm. to make their book. It's the strategies are same, the same, no matter what kind of crowdfunding you do, but the organizational dynamics change depending on, on your funding goal. And I applied many of the principles I found in that book and we ran a Kickstarter for our first uh, animated web series, Mighty Aphrodite, and it funded in a day. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. No, you guys did a so, great job. It looks great. And uh, the the knowledge that I got that made that possible came from your book. So what is different about the second uh, edition? Oh, um well, I added a number of chapters. I added a chapter on taxes because everyone mm. was clamoring about that. Um, I added a chapter on dealing with success because I had a chapter on dealing with failure. But in, in between that time, um, uh, a former client had done extremely well on their Kickstarter. And for some people... When they do really well, often it's more money than they've ever seen at once in their life. Mm. And so things start popping in their head like, oh, I can pay off my student loans. Oh, I can do this. Oh, I can do that. And so that chapter says, okay, first of all, take a deep breath and congratulate yourself because you did a great job. But then, like, step away from the money (laughs) (laughs) because you still have to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, postage is always going to go up and you've got to get those uh, rewards out to your backers. So take care of all of that first. And then if you have money left over, then great. If you have money left over enough to help, you know, pay down your student loans, great. But um, that person came to me in a panic saying, oh, my God, I don't have enough money for taxes. Oops. And, yeah. And I said, I I can't help you. 
<laughs> Did they want you to pay the taxes for them? I mean, no, yeah. I think they were just looking for advice. Ah. And, you know, other than, you know, you may just have to go to friends and family to help you out, you know, in the meantime, which I think is what they did uh, to help them in the short term. But and there's other people who ran out of money because they didn't, you know, postage went up. You know, postage is just crazy. Oh, yeah. It's and, nuts. Oh, my God. I, I... And, and so they actually would say they came out and they said, you know, we thought we had enough money for postage, but it went up and we're short like $300. And they would let the backers know. They were very upfront, very honest. And they were fortunate in that someone just, you know, gave them the money. Wow. Wow. That is really good. Um, you know, to help them out. But not all of us are that fortunate. So, you know, as as I tell anyone, you know, dealing with taxes and, and all that, you know, talk to a tax professional because often you'll have uh, deductions that you'll be able to take off and, you know, save yourself some money. But, you know, I don't know what that is. So you need to talk to someone who knows the rules and regulations for that. So um, your first Kickstarter – you you got all of this information by doing Kickstarters and uh, learning the hard way. So how did yes. your first one go? And, oh, and you love to hear you? that story, don't you? <laughs> um, we did a fabulous crash and burn. Uh, but when I look back at it now, it really wasn't a crash and burn because it was just – bad strategy on my part at that particular moment in time. We were asking for $25,000 and we had three issues done and that would be enough money to, you know, pay my artist and finish the whole thing and put it together in a big, beautiful trade. And that's not an unreasonable amount to ask for. That's exactly how much it would cost. I you know, didn't pad it at all. And, uh, but we did, we, we didn't make that, but we made over $7,000 and had over 200 backers. And for someone who came out of like nowhere and I didn't have an email list and I sort of had Facebook followers and sort of had Twitter followers, um, that was actually pretty good uh, taken in the context. So we knew what we could raise. And so we re-strategized that, okay, we're just going to break it down into the individual component parts and just do chapter at a time. Uh, ask for like $3,200. And, um, and then if we make stretch goals, great, because we'd already seen historically we could make around seven grand. And we were fully funded in under 48 hours um, for That's, the second one. And wow. then it's been kind of like that ever since. Um. So, you know, by doing, by breaking the, the comic down into its component parts and doing it one at a time, yes, it took longer, but we ended up making more money than we originally asked for in the first Kickstarter. Yeah, so because it, it's it, often a lot easier to sell people on little chunks than big, one big one. Yes, yes. And I didn't understand that at the time. And uh, so, yeah, it was... It was a pretty rough learning curve, but um, uh, we learned it. And I do say we because my husband is here with me, and he, he has to deal with me dealing with Kickstarter. Uh, so, no, we figured it out. So uh, in um, 
in exploring Elizabeth's uh, history. Yes. I mean, that um, it it seems as though there was a framework sort of, I mean, you had you had worked out the general history of things. Yes. But uh, the personal framework of it, of uh, the the individual characters coming in and and flowing around the the uh, central character of the story, uh, what was it like um, working that out? And and where did you get the inspiration for Hal? <laughs> um. Well, Hal. I actually introduced the world to him in Steampunk Rat, mm. uh, which is probably the fan favorite novella that that I've written. Um, uh, after, uh, some people I know, after they read the novel, they went back and read some of the, the short stories and novellas so they could develop their own timeline, which tells me that I need to actually go write a timeline <laughs> and, <laughs> and put it out there somewhere. I mean, it, you know, it's like, oh, I guess it's time to do that. Um, well, for one thing, in the basic biographical information on Samuel, um, I always knew that uh, his wife was a medium, and uh, and it was you know something about her that drew what uh, we then learned was the thing we call the shifter, you know, later on in the graphic mm, novel. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I thought uh, he looked familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's a shifter. Ooh, um, likes the girls. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I just, uh, extrapolated from the short stories and the novellas, which I mean, did the job that they were supposed to do, which was establishing canon and establishing the relationships. And so I pulled from a lot of that previous material um, the relationships and put it all together in one book. Wow. I mean, it's, there's so much to it. I mean, it's, it's like watching a garden grow. You you get into it in the beginning and you have some idea uh, as to where things are going to come from. And then things sort of grow up and fill in the void. And then there are the surprises and that's, Kind of what it was like when I, I you introduced the character of Rachel, uh, the uh, the medium that trains Elizabeth in her basic skills, and um, and things take a surprising turn and and things go sideways very, yeah. in, in very interesting ways. Um, did you have anyone in mind uh, when when you wrote the character of Rachel, or or is she something somebody that? Uh, uh, that you invented from from the fabric of the backstory itself. Um, actually, I invented her while I was outlining the novel. Um, I wanted uh, another woman in the mix uh, because, for whatever reason, often what I write tends to be male centric, and I wanted to kind of veer away from that and. Uh, so I wanted Rachel, actually Rachel originally, I had thought of her as being the antagonist and then I went like, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, it would have been too simple. She was yeah. harsh, but fair, you know, like, like any teacher. 
Yeah, yeah, and she yeah. she came from a, a very distinctive point of view, uh, in that she came from the South Side. She was South Side Irish, and she was protecting her own. And to have this essentially, you know, privileged white woman come in and say like, "Okay, I want this, this, and this," and she's just like, "Uh, no." And who are you again? <laughs> yeah, don't care. You know, you're in my world now, and I don't care. You need me. I don't really need you. And uh, so it was it was interesting to, you know, see these two women do business with each other and and leave the men out of it. And they could, and the men could do nothing about it. Yeah. Samuel um, Samuel was basically. um <laughs> A, a man of, of Elizabeth's own class might have tried to bluff and bluster, but that wouldn't have done any good. And Samuel knew that. Yeah. Right. And he was he was basically being steered around by Elizabeth and pretty much everybody else. And it, it's... Um, I think later in life he's had quite a belly full of that. And, oh, know, yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree. You know, he, it's much more assertive he, later on. Yeah. Um, well, he very much loved her. Clearly, of course, uh, he loved her, and he he was kind of adrift, and so she became the anchor. And you know, he didn't. You know, as long as he had something to call his own, which is why he you know wanted to start the, the his own private you know detective agency. Um, he he was quite willing to you know basically let or do whatever she wanted as long as he had something to call his own, which is fair. Oh, yeah. Because um, he was happy with her and happy with their life, and he was making the adjustment, and um, it was, it was you know, a lot better life than he had had before. Samson is an interesting character as well. We got, uh, I, we got a lot of his backstory Samson. as well. Oh, I love Samson. Yeah, he's... Yeah. Yeah, you should. You guys should go back and read Steampunk Rat, and then you'll really love Samson. No, we already do. What a what a life he led, you know. Yeah, he was, must yeah. have been born a slave, I suppose, from his age. But uh, well, no, Samson was not black. He's white. Why did I think he was black? You're probably thinking of Maconan, the, uh, the 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 shipping magnate. No, no, that, no, I'm not. That came to okay, Jonathan. And, 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 oh, you might have been thinking about yeah, McConan. Yeah, yeah McConan. No, actually, in my head, Samson was black because he's you know the in a subservient but but prominent role in the household. He he certainly knew what, all of what was going on, and he had that biblical Old Testament name. Yeah. Huh. Mm, okay. Well, that's an interesting thing. I just it didn't occur to me that he was white. Yeah. Yeah. You you actually see him in the next uh, one shot uh, because Samuel and Caitlin go to Philadelphia. It mentions in the novel that, you know, he goes to uh, his nieces in Philadelphia. That was it. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where he goes. Okay. So that's what I get for having not caught up. That's okay too. But uh, yeah, but, but you do need to pay attention to Thomas Rochester. Oh yeah! Oh boy, Thomas Rochester. Yeah. He's a piece of work, huh? Uh, several pieces, in fact. Har har har. <laughs> and well assembled. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, 
probably the next book in these are all standalone. Um, these particular books will be standalone, but they it's like everything I do. It's like they're standalone, but they're all linked. Um, uh, we'll probably focus more on Thomas. Good. And um, just and if you go back and read A Clockwork Man, which is one of my very first short stories uh, in this universe, um, the tilling gas, man, they're just everywhere. House Tilling Gas is just, I love them. They're all like the best bad guys I think I've ever created. But Oh, yeah, they're ruthless. Why are there no clockwork women? Um, It's just because you haven't seen them yet. Okay. I'm just saying you never see that. Except Metropolis, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, actually, in the new short story, I did... Um, it's with the Clockwork Alchemy people, mm-hmm. um, the the writers group there, the author the author salon. Um, you do see some uh, prototypes of Clockwork men and women, okay, and children and children. Ooh, there would be Ooh. a way put your baby's brain in a in a little uh, you know, small robot body, and you know they grow up. You you. Give them longer legs, you know. You'd have to expand the skull too. Yes, yes, of course. Oh boy, I that's that has all kinds of just heart stopping ramifications right there. Mm-hmm. Just contemplating what what uh, what your life would be like if you were if if you had that many mechanical parts. Well, there's a. I think there's yeah. ruthless enough houses that. They would experiment on the children, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, and uh, um, because some of the references that that Thomas makes after they discover what he is or what he's become or forced to become, um, that's those are references to uh, a Clockwork Man, and um, that is set during the House Wars. Uh, where you meet uh, Lucius Garrett, who is uh, works at as a rigger uh, for Tillinghast mm-hmm. out in the Midwest, and uh, something happens, and um, he uh, he is changed. So, uh, yeah, I'm almost thinking of maybe having he and Thomas meet up in the next book. Hmm. Oh, that's, that's Lucius would be quite old, but you would understand why he was still alive. When yeah. you read the short story, you'll understand why he's still alive. Oh, okay. okay. Well, we will. Looking forward to that. I'm, I'm really enjoying uh, walking around in this world you've created. It's, uh, it's this is good stuff. It's it's huge. <laughs> it's yeah, it's huge, which is why it. I, I've I've had people go like, and when are you going to do novels? And like, okay, here. Um, (laughs) Uh okay here but yeah there's it's such a massive universe and i do look forward to starting the house wars because you'll see more of gwen warwick uh uh you'll see beatrice wells more um jonathan's um grandmother uh he he'd be a little boy um and she'd be middle-aged because i really 
I want the next series of of novels to have to be more female centric and also women of different ages. Because I can't tell you, I'm getting really sick of the young, perky teen saving the universe. Yeah, that's kind of a a narrow trope, isn't it? Yeah, mostly yeah. that's when you're trying to sell books to teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> Old people have more money to buy books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's like when I uh, I was uh, doing a panel at Gaslight Expo on crowdfunding, and we were talking about social media. And I said, yes, I know that people are moving off of Facebook to Instagram, but guess what? Yes, they are younger on Instagram. Uh, you need 10,000 follows for any of your links to go live, but guess what? The older people on Facebook actually have the disposable income. Yeah. Yeah. And Instagram, not so much. Yet. Of course, that will always change. Everything changes. But that's what it is right now. Yeah, Instagram, I can't, I can't fathom it. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's pictures. <laughs> and it's, it's very difficult to have any kind of a dialogue in it. Maybe uh, that's just as well. Yeah, it probably is. I mean, it's, I... I yeah, I I use Instagram pi- primarily when I'm at cons. Like I'll post I'll post cosplay and and you know pictures from the con and fun stuff and um but I'm I'm not terribly active on it unless I'm at a con. I just don't have time. Yeah, and it, you have to it, do it on the phone and it's just it's annoying. Yeah, there is no uh there's no practical interface for it for the desktop at all. I've tried. <laughs> I've looked all of the all of the manipulation you do on Instagram, you do on your phone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just too slow for me. So I just post and move on. So, what are you working on now? Promotion for the book, obviously. Obviously. Uh, the new novel, the new novel. Um Oh, which reminds me, uh, when you two have some time, if you could post a brief review on Amazon, that would be awesome. Oh, and, and our listeners should do the same. Because Yes, please. Uh, anyone who reads it, please post a review. Because um, that really helps. I think if you get like 50 reviews, then Amazon starts adding you to newsletters and things like that. But um, I'm not entirely clear on that, if that's true. Alrighty then. I know it's related somehow. I, it's I know it's related to how much, uh, how much they show the world uh, of your work. Yeah, yeah. So, no, but, that's that's yeah, quite true. So yeah, working on that. Um, there's an advertising campaign going out next week on it. Um, a lot of this is just uh, since I haven't done it before. You know, see how it works. See what works. See what doesn't. And. Uh, as I said, I'm working on this uh, short story, which is probably more for my entertainment and to clear my head than anything else. And then it'll be back to Boston Metaphysical. Um, oh, and uh, Gwen is uh, sending pages back for the new one shot, which, oh, it's officially called Boston Metaphysical so- Society, The Spirit of Rebellion. Ooh, I like that. Cool. And like I said, it is a uh, Caitlin-centric story. Um, you know, Samuel does play a part, but it's, it's really about her. 
And, uh, yeah, they go to Philadelphia. So, yeah, I got to get out of Boston sometime. Um, and then I have had people ask me, you know, when am I going to bring the team back together again? <laughs> so probably the one shot after that will be a Samuel Granville and Caitlin story. Um, so I do listen to the fans all the time. And they give me great ideas. So actually the the new Caitlin one was based out of a conversation I had a couple years ago with a fan at Gaslight Expo where she was sitting with me and she commented that a friend of mine had a friend of hers had read a steampunk book of which I don't know the name and she was kind of upset because the the female character she felt was too subservient and you know wasn't taking the lead or whatever and and me not knowing the story I said well you know that's okay as long as there's conflict and repercussions and it came into my head that okay after all that Caitlin has done in the original six issue miniseries uh and gone against her mother and the church there's going to be serious repercussions for that they're just not going to let that fly you know, there's no Star Trek reset button here. That's right. Um, excuse me? That's right. No Star Trek reset button. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, she makes a decision. Essentially, it's in Chapter 5 of the original series uh, that we are going to see the repercussions of that. Um, oh, cool. Okay. And... And that all came out of a conversation I had with a fan. Well, it's not the first time I've heard of stories of writers interacting with fans and, and getting ideas from them or or, mm. or taking, you know, fragments of of yeah. conversations and turning them, turning them into new stories. Yes, yeah. as long as it doesn't go ugly and they start demanding money from you, that's fine. <laughs> but it's the relationship that science fiction writers uh, seem to have with the fans and the readers that other genres don't don't really have. You don't really hear about this in other genres. Not not as much, no. Yeah, I've uh, in some of the reviews I've had, uh, I the reviewers have you know commented on uh, the demons and the demons that I you know I portray demons is very different than standard lore. And uh, they talk about it some more, and I'm going like, wow, that's a really interesting take on that. Let me think about that some more. So I actually I, – I, I love reviews, um, even if they tend toward negative, because usually there's something out of there I, I can get that's useful. Um, and, uh, you know, use it to help more – to develop more character and story. As long as it's somebody who's actually has constructive criticism and is not just disrespecting you. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think I had that for the first time about oh a couple months ago. Oh no. Where I got a review for the graphic novel that just excoriated me. And it was just some rando. <laughs> I'm sure. Um you know, I, I had asked this website for for a review, and yeah, it it, it got kind of strange, and um, yeah, 
I'll just I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. It says more about him than it does about you. Yeah, I'm I'm not worried about it, so okay, it's good. fine. Glad so if, if you want to get a taste of Boston Metaphysical, you can go to it's it's bostonmetaphysical.com. Is that Actually, it's bostonmetaphysicalsociety.com, but bostonmetaphysical.com will take you there too. Oh good. And also Boston Metaphysical Comic because I think I own all those domains. Good idea. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that was really good planning because, you know, people will get it wrong like I just did. You know, oh, yeah, it's easy. Most people it. just put bostonmetaphysical.com, and, and that's, yeah, it'll redirect you to the main website. You can read the original six issues for free online. Um, it doesn't include the extra material that's in the trade or the individual issues. Uh, Scourge of the Mechanical Men will probably not go online until I have a couple more one-shots up and done. Great. That's just a business decision. That's your entire yeah, I think it. that I think yeah. that makes sense. You know, if you give everything away right up front, you have a hard time selling the books. Yes, <laughs> selling the <laughs> books later. We have been talking to Madeline Holly Rosing, the creator of the Boston Metaphysical Society, and her latest book, A Storm of Secrets, which is that's just out now, isn't it? Yes. So you can go to Amazon and buy it. Buy it now, <laughs> read it now, review it now. Yeah, it's on Amazon and Nook and Smashwords, which means, of course, it's on you know every ebook platform out there. That's awesome. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much. You have been listening to episode 205 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for October 27th, 2018. Our guest today has been Madeline Holly Rosing, author of the new Boston Metaphysical Society novel entitled A Storm of Secrets and creator of the original comic novel series, which you can read at bostonmetaphysicalsociety.com. Your hosts this evening were Gene Turnbow and Susan Fox. This episode will air again on October 28th, 2018 at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, tomorrow afternoon, that's Sunday, and two more times on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all of the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our own website at kryptonradio.com as podcasts. Krypton Radio is listener-supported geek culture radio, and the vast majority of our funding comes from listeners just like you. We are asking you to visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio and donate a dollar or two a month to keep the station on the air. If everybody thinks to themselves that somebody else's job or somebody else will take care of it for me, then there's no station. Be a hero for everyone else and go pledge. That's patreon.com slash kryptonradio. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2018 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on Krypton Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>